The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. doing i'm leslie marshall it is thursday and more than a pleasure to have you with us here on the only true democracy in talk radio in this hour we have a great guest joining us and unfortunately for many of us especially those of you worried about your health care happy with the affordable care act obamacare uh, we just had a vote although not on a law but rather a bill so we still have some cycles through the senate and then the house and senate again before it would reach president trump's desk and uh very much like the criticism that republicans had of democrats a bill pushed through where it's not very clear exactly what is in it but we do know that from phase one of this bill how many millions will be affected. You might be one of those people. We want to hear from you today. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number to join us. In this hour, our guest is Emily Gee. Emily is a health economist for the health policy team at the Center for American Progress. And prior to joining them, she was at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. There, she worked on implementation of the Affordable Care Act. She did that back as far as 2013. She was, an, as an economist in the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation, she supported the department's outreach to uninsured individuals and authored numerous analysis on health coverage and the insurance exchanges. Also, she served as an economist for the Council of Economic Advisors, tracking trends in health care coverage, access, and cost, and reviewing regulation related to provider payments, prescription drugs, and private insurance. Somebody who knows a heck of a lot about this earned her earring her doctorate in, doctorate in economics at BU Boston University, my home city, where I live down the street from. She researched health insurance markets and taught health economics. She holds a bachelor's from another great school called Harvard. More than a pleasure to have Emily with us. Emily, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here, Leslie. Uh, you have uh, quite a resume. I'm very impressed by you. I used to live in Dexter Park. If you went to BU, you probably know that building or where that is. Uh, mo- a lot of people from BU either lived there, lived near there, or passed by there, or visited people there and studied there. Um, yes, Boston's a great town. Yes, yes, it is. Well, let's talk about this uh, passage. It was a narrow passage in the House. Let's talk about not just how uh, narrow, um, but how symbolic before we get into this, because it would seem that Republicans going to recess, knowing this is going to go to the Senate, knowing it may not pass in the Senate and certainly not in its current form. um, is, Is this really as much of a victory as Republicans are patting themselves on the back for today? So I think Republicans were asked by their leadership and by the Trump administration to walk the plank, and ultimately we saw today that the moderates did. Um, They caved despite some very hollow reinsurances that people with pre-existing conditions would be protected. 
Um, and although they're claiming victory, I think there's still a long ways to go. So there's um, still a lot of debate and information we need to see. We, uh, they had a vote today without seeing an updated CBO score, without holding any hearings, hearing from any expert witnesses. Um, I expect we'll probably see a CBO score, which would tell us exactly how much the bill would cost and consequences for uh, coverage and other aspects of the economy sometime next week. Um, and there's still a chance for um, patient advocacy groups, for constituents, for others um, around the country to influence the Senate and ultimately determine what happens to this bill. To be clear, today, the Republicans, President Trump, did not repeal or replace Obamacare, but rather made some changes to the Affordable Care Act that in its bill form have gone from one chamber to another. Would that be a more accurate assessment of what just take, took place today? So it's true. This this is not law yet, as you said. This is um, something that still needs to be passed by the Senate, um, which I think is will be a very you know, much more difficult thing to do than passing through the House. I think the Senate... Um, it, there, there would be probably be a lot more thought and debate, and um, certainly uh, those of us who are trying to protect uh, the consumer protections that we have under the ACA will um, work very hard to ensure that those stay in place. Um, and then, it, uh, you know, it would need to be signed by the president to become law. But at this point, I think we are talking about uh, something that very serious happened today. That uh, you know, the, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to take away coverage from 24 million Americans, um, and it would raise premiums and health care costs for those of us who remain uninsured, um, even if the bill passed. Uh, it also raises, I think, what's particularly concerning about the bill is it raises costs for the youngest and the oldest and the sickest members of our society. Um, fundamentally, this is really not about health care. This is a bill that doesn't increase health coverage or decrease health costs. It's a bill that uh, cuts government funding in order to fund the Republican tax plan. And also, we want to talk, when we talk about slim margins, the, 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 this was a bill that passed by a vote of 217 to 213, and so people get an idea. That is just one vote over what they needed, which was 216, and, and I would agree with you, walk the plank. Um, there are some Republicans who are up for re-election in the midterms um, who may not be in a very deep red um, area, uh, of the, their constituency, you know, isn't as, uh, you know, in love with Trump. And even if they were, we're seeing more and more Trump supporters and more and more Republicans who signed up for Obamacare and actually like it. We'll talk about pre-existing conditions in a minute. Um, but is this symbolic or otherwise, you know, Republicans are puffing out their chest, but many Democrats are saying, especially online, and we have these marches and these campaigns and efforts like in Georgia and other places to flip districts. Um, do you think that we're going to see some people lose uh, their position in their seats in the, in the midterm as a result of this, what they've done today? I think there are serious consequences for constituents um, all around the country. Um, and this bill, uh, you know, 24 million is a big number of people who would lose coverage, but district by district, that works out to about 55,000 people per congressional district who would lose coverage by 2026. Uh, so this has ramifications for folks all around the country. This is also a wildly unpopular bill. Um, in polling, about 17% of people approve of the American Health Care Act. Um, and so what you see is some moderates today being bought out and climbing on board with something that's 
uh, not supported by the vast majority of Americans. The House Republicans boarded a bus, went down Pennsylvania Avenue to participate in a celebratory press conference with the president. Many of the members of the uh, Republican regime accredited Donald Trump for helping get the bill across the finish line. But these are not these these could be empty or hollow promises. The president spoke about ideas and changes that aren't yet, uh, you know, written uh, with regard to pre-existing conditions where a lot of moderates um, just in the past 24 to 48 hours flipped after talking with the president. Uh, but once again, the president's making a lot of promises that he may not be able to deliver on uh, to get the yes votes from some of these uh, more moderate Republicans, correct? I think that's one of the more infuriating things about this process is indeed time and time again we've seen Donald Trump make promises that he hasn't kept. Uh, among them, he said he would make any uh, cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security uh, during the presidential campaign, and today's bill would have stripped um, would would be stripping about over $800 billion out of the Medicaid program, a program that serves the elderly, serves uh, children, pregnant women, um, and low-income adults. When we look at the last-minute deals, like I just talked, uh, you know, um, you know, of and specifically with pre-existing conditions, this was an area that a lot of people were upset with. There are two issues here. One, that $8 billion dollars that the president alleges and promises for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, It's problematic because when we've looked at things in the past historically, one, there's been trouble funding, and two, these types of uh, promises, uh, when they were actually put into action in the past, like I said, one, there was problems with funding, and we don't know where the funding would come from uh, for this. Two, uh, $8 billion is not going to cover, you know, over, uh, you know, 20 you know, plus a million individuals when you look at just healthcare cost alone. And and then lastly, historically, these types of measures have been spotty at best uh, to cover individuals and other bills uh, with uh, areas that have expenses like this. That's correct. I think you see a lot of people voting today on blind faith that what they've been told by bill and amendment sponsors will come true. Um, the reality is that the terms of both the main uh, American Health Care Act, as well as the amendment proposed by Senator MacArthur, which would have stripped out protections for pre- people with pre-existing conditions, as well as the insufficient fix for it, which was the bill, pro- uh, sorry, the amendment proposed by uh, Representative Upton, um, leave a lot of discretion to the states and how they would use uh, what's ultimately too, too little money, um, and don't provide specifics about how this money should be used, when it would be available from the federal government. Um, so it's really hard to uh, see that how this would protect the number of people that would need to be protected um, who have pre-existing conditions. So to put it in perspective, $8 billion does sound like a lot of money to uh, you and me and most lay people, but really in terms of health care, that's, that's not a lot. We're talking about an industry that's a sixth of the nation's economy. Um, and when we're talking about people with expensive pre-existing conditions, we're talking about patients who cost about $30,000 a year to cover. So if we were trying to cover the, these high-cost folks, um, as you know, the, the bill appears to be doing, um, we did some analysis that shows even if you took just a mere 5% of the sickest folks in the small group market and the individual uh, direct purchase market, it would cost 
$200 billion more than the bill provides to cover those people. Unbelievable. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Emily, I'm going to apologize and mispronounce your last name. It is G, not G. Uh, Emily G, joining us from the Center for American Progress. Follow her on Twitter at Emily G underscore DC. The website for the Center for American Progress is AmericanProgress.org. We're going to talk more about the just by one vote victory, Republicans say. They feel they've repealed and replaced in bill form. Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. But those in the Senate, they say not so fast. Red light coming. We'll talk more about it when we return. You want to join us with questions, comments, concerns? I know a lot of you have those. Pick up the phone and do so. Our guest knows her stuff, and many of you are fearful of what took place and what's coming. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Quick break. Back to you and our guest, Emily G. Right after this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. for the health policy team at the Center for American Progress. Emily, thank you for holding a welcome back. Before we take calls at 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. What about those, before we talk about this going to the Senate, what about those that say, hey, Republicans especially, um, this is going to give more power to the states. No governor in their right mind is going to pull uh, you know, pre uh, support and coverage for those with pre-existing uh, conditions. But quite frankly, governors were very comfortable with it before the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare. So that, that to me doesn't, you know, that's not a, a huge uh, vote of confidence, if you will, that statement. So, so a couple of things there. One, uh, you're right. If you go back to the way things were before the ACA, you had plans that had lifetime limits, had annual limits. Um, plans were allowed to exclude certain uh, conditions from coverage. So if you, uh, say, had breast cancer, signed up for coverage, you might get coverage that excluded um, any breast cancer care um, going forward. Um, so I don't think it's absurd to, you know, say that states would undo some of those those protections that we have now under the ACA. Um, a second point is that a lot of uh, what's in the bill is not sufficiently funded. Um, whatever premium stabilization or uh, risk pooling uh, mechanism you want to believe the bill has to stabilize premiums in the small group in, in individual markets, um, that's not well-funded, and so that's going to put a squeeze on state budgets. And so really what this does is uh, give a lot of flexibility, but also a lot of responsibility, and um, you know, the consequences of the funding shortfall will fall on, on governors and uh, state houses. Let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Let's start it out in Portland, Oregon, Line 3 with Omar. Omar, question or comment for our guest? I got a comment. Why is it that the Republicans believe that health care is a privilege for the rich, but not for the poor? Emily? That's a great question, Omar. Um, I 
I, <laughs> I think I think that was, would be something that everyone who um, either goes to a town hall next week or um, takes the time to call their senator um, over the coming months should be asking. It's uh, healthcare is something that 20 million Americans have gained over the past several years thanks to the ACA, and this bill would take away healthcare for about 24 million Americans, including 14 million low-income Americans who currently are benefiting from Medicaid coverage. And, you know, Emily, it makes me sick to my stomach. My producer and I were talking about this earlier uh, today, right right before we came on the show after the vote. How can you take a victory lap over any individual, whether they're in your, con- your district and one of your constituents voted for you or not, any individual, you know, a baby like Jimmy Kimmel Sonny had spoken about, uh, how anybody, you know, out there would lose, um, you know, health coverage. And to do a victory lap to, to celebrate that, to me, is, is unconscionable. It's inhumane. Speaking of, there's also an exemption for those very people who voted for this today, isn't there? There is. So the bill contained a provision um, that would have uh, – meant that anybody who had some sort of pre-existing condition, it could be something as simple as or common as asthma or uh, depression uh, or something as complex as, say, um, a very advanced stage of cancer, if th- that person had a gap of in coverage of more than 63 days um, they would, and needed to buy coverage through the individual market, they would um, be rated based on their health status, um, which means that for somebody, say, with diabetes, could, might pay an additional $5,000 to be able to get coverage. Um, somebody with breast cancer might owe an additional $28,000 towards coverage. Um, but that's just for people who aren't members of Congress. Congress wrote an exception that said that if one of them had a gap in coverage, they wouldn't face that same um, uh, loss of preexisting condition protections. Let's take some more calls. 8886-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Um, let's go to Reggie, line four in Georgia. Reggie? Happy Thursday to you and your guest, Leslie. Um, don't they know that what this Trump care would do to people who who is in pre-existing conditions and current health problems and issues if this bill ever gets passed fully? Okay, that's a good question. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll let Emily answer that. If you're holding, hang on, because we are up against this break here. 8886 Leslie, 8886537543. They rush through it, don't know what's in it, a lot of empty promises. Do they realize what, in fact, they voted for, who it will affect, and will that have a negative adverse effect in the midterms for those that are up for re-election? Those that aren't, well, they really don't care. They're just, as Emily said, walking the plank, towing the party line and being yet again symbolic about something that has to do with repealing and replacing Obamacare. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back in a moment. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Back up, Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy and Talk Radio, health economist for the health policy team at the Center for American Progress. Emily G. is our guest. Emily, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, let's take another call, and we go to Paul, who is in Washington, and Paul is on line two. Paul, good afternoon. Question or comment for Emily? Hi, uh, Leslie. Yeah, well, you know, you're talking about the high-risk uh, pools 
And the oh, wait, billion... wait, wait. Paul, I apologize. Before the break, hang on, Paul. Hold that thought. Just <laughs> hang with us. I won't even put you on hold. Emily, before the break, Reggie Indicator Georgia asked a question. My apologies. And he asked, do the Republicans even, you know, realize how many individuals, how many millions uh, may be negatively, adversely affected um, by this legislation and by their vote, especially those with pre-existing conditions? Sure. So to put things in perspective, about 130 million Americans have some sort of pre-existing condition that before the ACA would have resulted in them paying higher rates in the individual market were being rejected altogether. Um, even if you're more, you know, small C conservative, um, the Kaiser Family Foundation estimates that about 27 percent or one in four Americans have, has a condition at present that would have denied them coverage in the individual market uh, prior to the ACA. Um, whether Republicans realize what they're doing, uh, I think, uh, we, you know, we've been talking a lot here in Washington about what these proposals would do. Um, for sure, one thing that the uh, amendment proposed by Tom MacArthur would do is say that people who have a gap in coverage and try to purchase coverage in the individual market um, could get rated based on their health status. So if you have, you know, asthma or history of depression, you could get charged more than a healthy person would. Um, a number of proposals were debated during the negotiations, including high-risk pools, um, which would essentially quarantine sick people in a separate um, insurance plan from everybody else. Um, we did crunch a few numbers on that here at the Center for American Progress and found that even for a small risk pool, the, the bill falls about $200 billion short of providing enough funding for subsidizing those people. Wow. Okay. Uh, Reggie, I hope that answers your question. Now we go to Paul in Washington, line two. Paul, thank you for your patience. Question or comment? Yeah, hi, Leslie. Well, so, yeah, Emily makes, points out the thing is the high-risk pools, they always fail because they're always guaranteed to pay out. And if they're not properly funded, then they're, they're going to be bankrupt. Um, and I want to jump in here, with Paul, since you're mentioning those, and Emily, so people are clear. If you have money set aside for a high-risk pool, it still does not prevent an insurance company from from increasing your premium if you have a pre-existing condition or for denying you for coverage at all, which was the way things were prior to the Affordable Care Act. Am I correct in that? That's correct. In the, in the uh, high-risk pools that existed before the Affordable Care Act, premiums were you know, at about often double what they were in the, uh, the rest of the individual market. Um, the pre-ACA risk pools also had things like coverage exclusions, which meant that certain conditions or services weren't covered. Um, they had very high deductibles, and they also had uh, very ne- narrow eligibility categories, if not even waiting lists or were close to new enrollment. Um, the ACA set up a temporary high-risk pool program um, known as a pre-existing condition insurance program, um, but that was, again, underfunded as the pre-ACA risk pools were. Okay, Paul? Well, yeah, well, the other thing about this is that, um, as was mentioned, that so these technicalities, like if you were missed coverage for 63 days, uh, you'd have to essentially reapply. Now, my wife had a similar technicality um, where she was part of a group in a, sm- in a small office where the, the head of the group uh, passed away. Now, this is while my wife was in treatment for breast cancer, and the insurance company wrote her a letter and said that you're canceled because you're the only person left and one person is not a group and offered that she would would she like to play uh apply for an individual plan and i said and would and fill out this questionnaire and she said well how am i gonna i'm in treatment for breast cancer this was before the ac 
I'm never going to get coverage. And I said, told her that, no, you're coming from an existing plan, so you don't have to apply by filling out this questionnaire. And the insurance company told her, well, that would be true if you were coming from an existing plan, but since we canceled your plan, you're not. So she did have to fill out, and she, being a breast cancer in treatment for breast cancer, couldn't buy uh, commercial insurance at any price, at any price at all, and she would have paid any price and could have because she happened to be the executive director of a large foundation here in Seattle, and they would have paid the cost. So she ended up having to get insurance through the state of Washington uh, high-risk pool, and she never got to see the ACA because she's quite peacefully, peacefully dead now. But um, another part of this thing is where they say we block granting, uh, block granting medi- Medicaid. Well, they apparently are not aware of the history. We had a block granted Medicaid program once in this country. Before we had Medicare, we had elder care, and elder care was essentially block granted Medicaid for the elderly. President Eisenhower signed it in 1960, and it failed in three years because of exactly what happens when you block grant, block grant this kinds of things to the states. The governors of the states go out and piddle it away and fritter it away on whatever it is else that they want to spend it on, and it doesn't get to, it doesn't, it doesn't provide the health care. When Medicaid doesn't pay and hospitals don't get paid, especially in rural areas, they have to go out of business, and what this ultimately leads to is drive, they have to charge more, and it drives up, it drives up premiums for people who have regular insurance. This is, this is guaranteed to drive up premiums for everybody. Emily, you, you agree with that? Well, but let me see. First, I'm very sorry to hear the story of, of your wife, and um, you know the the situation you described there is certainly not something we want to go back to. Um, being charged for uh, you know health conditions that are no fault of our own, um, and you know even those of us who are lucky enough to be healthy certainly wouldn't want to go back to a world where we need to fill out reams and reams of paperwork every time we need to switch coverage. Um, On to your Medicaid comment, um, I. I totally agree that block grants are um, <laughs> not good for anybody. It uh, puts a squeeze on state budgets. States don't have the kind of money that they need to make up a shortfall in federal funding. Um, and I'm, I'm from Washington State as well, and I know that um, uncompensated care does put a squeeze on, on the rural hospitals. Um, the, you know, the, the less people have coverage, uh, the more care they need to provide out of their own, um, out of their own funding. All right. All right, Paul. Thank you. Thanks, I, thanks. I appreciate that. Let, let's talk about because I, I talked what happens um, from here. I had alluded to us uh, having that conversation. This is a bill. This is not law. Uh, this uh, narrowly passes by one vote over the 260 needed by the Republicans uh, to the Senate. And Senator Bob Corker, who is a Republican uh, from a very red state, Tennessee, he said that the House bill has quote zero chance of passing. Uh, the Senate to, to to continue. He says that's not the way it's going to work. To be honest, he said people are going to want to improve it. I don't see any way that it goes back in the form that it comes. So in this form, it is zero chance. But does this have zero chance of being signed, you know, by Trump if they make the changes that Senator Bob Corker alludes to, Emily, uh, in the Senate and goes back to the House in such a different form that may not. Uh, keep the Freedom Caucus people, uh, you know, more libertarian-minded, and then those moderate Republicans who were concerned about pre-existing conditions on board. Sure, I think we would play all sorts of guessing games about, you know, who would vote for what, or um, you know, whether Trump would keep any of his promises. But what we do know is that 
in the House, uh, the, in, in the original bill, there were many members across the spectrum, even within the Republican Party, who said that uh, the bill wasn't um, adequately covering Americans. And then you saw amendments that made the bill worse, that, that um, would have taken away some protections for people with pre-existing conditions, that would have uh, hollowed out insurance by um, no longer requiring plans to cover what most people would think are essential health benefits, uh, essential services that should be provided in any insurance plan. Um, and yet you, they were able, the Republican leadership was able to flip a lot of moderates and get enough votes to pass the bill through the House today. Uh, when we look at what will continue to go forward, I mean, when the House measure came to the floor, um, there was no updated accounting. So the CBO is going to have that updated accounting, not only here, but looking back, even what happened with the Affordable Care Act, uh, uh, Obamacare, how much does the CBO's uh, numbers crunching and their uh, final uh, numerical uh, result, if you will, how much does that weigh in and will that, do you think, weigh in, get your crystal ball out, uh, to the future of uh, this uh, bill uh, in the form that it's in? Sure. Ordinarily, uh Lawmakers would would be asking for a CBS score before they vote on something. We're talking about um, you know billions of dollars in funding. We're talking about coverage for millions and millions of Americans. And today the House voted without having an updated um, Congressional Budget Office score for what the bill would do to either coverage um, or the nation's economy, um, which is uh, you know shameful and irresponsible. I you know we expect that we here in Washington that we might see a CBO score in the next week or two, um, which would, uh, of course, be informative to the debate in the Senate. Um, but, you know, I think what we'll probably be seeing is something very similar to what we saw in, in the Congressional Budget Office's original score, which is that 24 million Americans would lose coverage under this program. Um, Medicaid would have been cut by about uh, over $800 billion. Um, and that means skimpier coverage, higher health costs for consumers, um, and also leaves a lot, a lot of people without access to care. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 uh, is uh, the number. And um, there are a couple of, uh, there's just so much that's being uh, written. In the Wall Street Journal, uh, there was an article a little noted provision of the GOP health bill that could actually alter the employer plans. And this is important to point out because so many Americans, that's how they get their insurance through their employer. Um, are you familiar with this, Emily? And would you like to speak to that? I am. So, you know, what the consequences of writing a bill so hastily and you know, not holding any hearings, not getting updated CBO scores, that things that are sloppy in drafting uh, mean that there are a lot of loopholes and sometimes they're to the detriment of um, – of uh, consumers and regular people, and so this is one of them. So what happened is, um, I guess to review, there's something in the Affordable Care Act called, known as essential health benefits, and what this is is a federally defined list of 10 categories. It's actually in the, in the statute, in the text of the ACA law itself, that says there are 10 basic things that all insurance plans um, in the individual and small group markets need to cover, um, and those are very simple things like maternity care, mental health care, uh, hospital inpatient care, emergency department care, and so on and so on. Um, what the American Health Care Act, in other words, the Republican repeal bill would do is say that there are no longer federally defined categories. States can make those categories as, 
as strict or as broad or as lax or as few as they would like. Um, and the reason this relates to insurance uh, coverage in the em employer-based insurance market is that um, employer plans can choose whatever standard they want, whatever state they want, uh, to define what what benefits would be covered in their plan. So um, if I were a not very generous um, insurance plan in the employer market, I could go to whatever state had um, the uh, least restrictive standards, choose that, and that would mean that um, not only would people not get, um, you know, not necessarily get coverage in those categories, but also mean that uh, lifetime limits and annual limits would not be, um, would not be, the plan would not be subject to those. So if, for example, maternity care were not covered, um, were not included in essential health benefits for the definition I chose, then I could put a limit that says I'll only pay, you know, $2,000 out of a woman's um, $40,000 hospital bill. Unbelievable. Uh, just <clears throat> unconscionable. Uh, Sarah Spellings wrote for New York Magazine a piece entitled Trump's America Rape is a Pre-Existing Condition. Now, some people might think sensationalistic and really taken aback, um, but this is not um, off the mark here, uh, right? I, I mean, we are looking at, in addition to rape, postpartum depression, C-sections, surviving domestic violence, all considered pre-existing uh, conditions um, in this bill in its current form. Am I correct in that? And as a woman, being uh, having had a C-section, uh, being uh, the victim uh, of rape, uh, th this just this makes me sick. Not only for those um, women and men who may be uh, surviving domestic violence or are you know victims of rape, uh, but for the future, for our children, and for the for, for the message that this sends uh, to our children, to our grandchildren. I, I agree. It's very concerning. If you go back and look at the uh, insurance documentation that existed before the Affordable Care Act, you find these incredibly long books and pamphlets of conditions that were considered pre-existing conditions. And it runs the gamut from, you know, very serious things like cancer to some of the, you know, in terms of health conditions, more minor things like asthma and, um, you know, he, surgeries you may have healed from long ago. Um, and, uh, I think you know the point of health insurance is to insure us against um, those things which are unforeseen or those things which are out of our control, and rating people on health status undermines that basic premise of what health insurance is for. There are those that say today on online there are people that may say things to liberal progressive Democrats like myself, you know, we wouldn't be here today unless your plan had failed bigly talking about Obamacare. Did the Affordable Care Act, did Obamacare really fail? And I say that because when people talk about rising premiums, I mean, the facts and the numbers, and the numbers are, oh, yes, there, there were certainly were some people that, you know, had to pay more or more than they could afford, but it's still less than what they originally would have had to pay or the increase in percentages of increased uh, premiums prior uh, to passage of the Affordable Care Act. Emily? So let me take the last part of your comment there, which is very important. I think it's uh, we should all remember that what were the insurance that we sign up for day, for today um, is a lot a much better product than what we would have gotten before the Affordable Care Act. Um, if you were to go to the individual market before the ACA, you could get rejected outright. You could get charged more because you had some sort of pre-existing condition, like say you know a C-section or a pregnancy. Um, you would have a cap on how much you could spend in a particular year or over your lifetime. Um, you know, premature babies might uh, hit their lifetime cap before they turn one. Um, 
And and now when you go to the individual market, you can buy coverage without having to tell the insurer every single health condition you have or have ever had. Um, there's no lifetime limit. There's no um, annual limit on your coverage. Um, your your insured coverage for things like mental health. Um, kids are insured uh, pediatric dental care. Um, so what you're getting is a much better product, and you're also um, if you're looking, you know, looking at the financials for the insurance companies, um, things are starting to stabilize in the market. In fact, uh, S&P put out a report last month saying that um, things are actually looking good in terms of market stability. Well, at least they were until um, <laughs> this repeal vote and, uh, and uh, Donald Trump threatening to stop the subsidies for the exchanges. We thank you for being with us today, Emily. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Remember, Emily is uh, part of the great folks and team at a Center for American Progress. Check out their website, AmericanProgress.org, and follow Emily on Twitter at Emily G, E-M-I-L-Y, the letter G, underscore D-C. I'm Leslie Marshall. When we come back, speaking of D.C., live from our nation's capital, Talk Media News is in the house. Don't go away. Welcome back. This woman is well, Victoria Jones, White House reporter for Talk Media News, live from our nation's capital. Victoria, thank you for joining us. Well, we know that the House has passed very narrowly by just one vote needed over the 216 in the House, uh, the AHCA, which many people are calling Trump Care. Yes, many people are calling Trump Care. I was in the White House gaggle today with Sarah Huckabee Saunders, and she was asked about whether uh, Trump would be calling it Trump Care. And it was very interesting because she was like, well, no, he's not about taking credit. He just wants, you know, he wants the work done. He just wants, to, you know, he's not about labels. So uh, apparently he doesn't want his, it seems like the interpretation of that might be that he doesn't want his name associated with it. Wow. Uh, you know, although people are taking a victory lap because you're there in D.C. and, you know, you're yeah. in the nucleus of it all, uh, Victoria, um, are, are there some Republicans that were a little bit nervous perhaps about their vote when met with the president? Because the president's making promises, but, you know, he there's nothing in writing in that bill that backs up the verbal promises he made in these closed-door phone call meetings. No, there isn't. Yeah, I, I think that there's some nerve uh, here. I mean, I, I think that trolling by the Democrats, you know, na 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 na, hey hey, goodbye. You know, I, yes, and, and Republicans were coming onto the House floor with beer, which that's got to be a violation of the House rules, right? I mean, somebody should be, it's got to be fined for that, because that won't happen. But um, I think people are nervous. But w- what is comforting them is that they all know it's going to go to the Senate, and the Senate is not going to pass it. So they know that what they passed today is never going to become law in its current form. One senior Republican said in an interview that there is a one in five chance of this thing getting even 51 votes. Wow. 
Well, we have no time to talk about the fact there are other things going on in D.C., things that make some people happy, certainly on the right, but others not so happy on the left. Thank you, Victoria. Sorry we didn't get to talk about repealing huge chunks of the Dodd-Frank law. I'm Leslie Marshall. Always more to come here on The Only True